And if you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. We've been working through this New Testament book over the past few weeks. And uh, most recently we found sort of a sub-series that we've been considering the sin-slaying work of Christ. We considered verse 22 of chapter 2. And the exemplary nature of Christ, his impeccable sinlessness, which uniquely fit him to be our substitutionary sacrifice for sin. And then we looked last time at verse 24, which says he himself bore our sin. And we spent time examining the penal and substitutionary nature of the atonement. So I thought we would linger here a little longer and take on this week, verse 25. And here we will see more insight into Christ Jesus, our Savior, as well as our own sinfulness and inability to be saved on our own. So let us once again read, if you've made your way there, First Peter chapter 2. We'll read verses 21 through 25. For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sin in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now... You are returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on your word and the preaching of it. We pray that you would even now prepare us to be good soil to receive the seed of the word. God, we pray that we would hear Christ. In his name we ask. Amen. In verse 25 here, we have a metaphor, a word picture for us, which is familiar. But we want to take some time today to think perhaps more deeply than we have in the past about this idea, this imagery of shepherd and sheep. I always have appreciated the opportunity that I got to spend with a young man. This has been several years ago and he's moved away, but a young man in our church who had sheep and to go out and spend some time with him and his sheep and see the imagery from the scripture that in my life, I had no real experience to connect there, but to see that play out, I've always appreciated that. Someone may think that here in this verse, as Peter uh, grabs on to this metaphor, that he just 
took whatever was handy, took something that was well known and easy, like sheep and shepherd imagery, and decided to employ it here. But if we think that Peter just grabbed onto something at random, we would be wrong. Some of us, when we think about sheep and shepherding, immediately think of King David, who was a shepherd. And you may think, well, this must be the origin of this comparison. After all, David wrote Psalms, one of which we just sang, David wrote psalms which speak of sheep and shepherds, and he knew that shepherding world, he lived in it because he tended his father's flocks. Perhaps thinking of King David as a shepherd gets us closer to the origin and the root of this imagery, but if we think that's where it started, again, we would be wrong. In 2 Samuel, God instructed David, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will be a leader over Israel. So God used this imagery before David did. But even when God used that imagery in 2 Samuel, God is not creating a new image of kingliness. Rather, he is using imagery already familiar to people. It was already familiar to David and it was already familiar to the common people. Connecting the office of king and the job of shepherd may not be something that comes up in your mind. I hope after today it will be, but this has been done for a long way back, all the way back to Genesis, we see this connection made. We see it throughout the Old Testament and especially in the books of Kings and Chronicles. The image of a king as a shepherd over the people seems to go back almost to the beginning. And it was not only, this imagery was not only shepherd and shepherding connected to earthly kings, but also, we remember the psalm, The Lord is my shepherd, which we have just sung. So, in the Old Testament, that shepherd and shepherding is a reference to God. David, more specifically, in saying, The Lord is my shepherd, is not speaking about God in general terms, but is speaking about Jesus Christ as Messiah. Shepherding is a reference, or the shepherd is a reference to Messiah. In John's Gospel, chapter 10, which was also read in our hearing, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. So we need to realize that this shepherding imagery, as old as it is, and it's very old, it's not just something that Jesus picked up at random when he said, I am the good shepherd. In saying, I am the good shepherd, Jesus is making a claim to being the Messiah. John 10, 14 continues, I am the good shepherd and I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father 
and I lay down my life for the sheep. So Jesus in John 10 lays out his relationship to the Father and claims to be the Messiah and places himself as the one who would lay down his life for the sheep. And that connects Jesus Christ to the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. This shepherding language is significant. So as we come to verse 25 of our text and we see Peter pick this up, it's not just at random, it's not just by accident. Now, I would like to just comment for a moment to say that shepherding in the verb form is a word often used to the work of a pastor in Christ's church. As a matter of fact, the word pastor comes from the Latin and it comes from a word that means shepherd. And its verb means to cause to eat, to feed, to cause to eat. So we can understand how the term pastor has come to be very commonly used to refer to the to the office and the job of those who feed the sheep. And we remember that when Jesus restored Peter, that he said to him three times, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. He instructed Peter to be a pastor, a shepherd. But it is very clear that Jesus is the good shepherd. And faithful pastors who serve him by feeding his flocks. I misstated that. I want to go back and do it again. Faithful pastors who serve him by feeding his flock. Because he's got one flock. He had a flock and then he said, I've got other sheep that are not of his folk, but I'll bring them together. They will be one. So Jesus has one flock. Those faithful pastors who serve him by feeding his flock are not the shepherds, but are under shepherds. We are reminded here at Waco Family very often that you, the members of Waco Family Baptist Church, are not our sheep. We have the privilege of serving Christ by bringing, nourishing, preaching, and teaching to you. But Jesus is the good shepherd. So as Peter states in verse 25, you are continually straying like sheep, but now you are returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. We learn here, more of the nature of Christ as our Savior and more of our own nature. Here, Peter references Isaiah 53 as he uses this language. He quotes, but he also makes modifications under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The apostles in Scripture do things that we are not always free to do. 
And Peter here quotes from Isaiah 53 and makes a slight modification. It's not really a modification as so much as a restatement, and we'll see that. Isaiah 53 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Peter says you were continually straying. All we like sheep have gone astray. We dare not think the idea that we one time strayed, but that it is our nature, that it is within us to stray, to wander. We are continually doing this. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now there's a statement about mankind comparing us to sheep. You are continually straying like sheep. What a comparison this is. You are like sheep. And maybe you think about sheep and you think uh, you haven't seen real live sheep. You might think of pure, stark, white, beautiful. That's not reality. There's, there's mud and dirt involved. But friends, we need to think about this comparison rightly. And we dare not think that this comparison is a compliment. All we like sheep have gone astray. I'm reminded of Spurgeon who compared his church to his dogs. And he made the comparison and when someone was offended, he said, I will apologize to my dogs as soon as I get home. <laughs> this comparison that God's people are compared to sheep, this is not something that we should see as a compliment. Sheep are the dumbest animals. Sheep can be aggressive toward one another. Headbutting or, or body slamming to get one another out of the way. They can seek to show dominance over another sheep. And they do this by staring. A dirty look. Well, they don't call it a dirty look in sheep world. But we are being compared here. And, and ultimately, we need to understand this about sheep as well. Ultimately, they are helpless, weak, defenseless against attack from other animals. Sheep are prey. Sheep are not those that prey upon, but they are preyed upon. And this is what we're being compared to. Dumb, often mean, with dirty looks. And ultimately weak and helpless. As our text points out, and Isaiah shows us as well, sheep wander. Sheep have a tendency to wander. All we like sheep have gone astray. You are continually straying like sheep. Sheep wander. Sheep get lost. And have no way to get back, to find their way back to the safety and provision that the shepherd provides. So the shepherd has to stay alert. 
Stay aware, stay on top of things to keep the sheep in line, to keep the sheep together. Sheep will be protected. Sheep will be provided for. And sheep will be happiest with a shepherd keeping watch over them. Sheep need a shepherd. And sheep need shepherding. And we, like sheep, continually wander, going astray. Left to ourselves, we were lost and hopeless. Isaiah points out that there is hope. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him and him there referring to the Messiah, to Jesus Christ, the sacrifice for sin. And Peter picks up on this imagery as he mentions our hope and our hope in this. Our hope is that sin, our sin, our iniquity has been born by Jesus Christ on the cross that he bore our sin, which is what we saw last week. Peter takes this imagery a little further and he says, for you were continually straying like sheep, but now you are returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Now you are returned. We need to understand this because if you have been following along in your Bible, Unless you have the King James Bible, you're reading something slightly different. And I want us to point out, I want us to see what is not being said here by Peter. And, and our modern English translations make it difficult for us to see this truth. Most of you read in your Bible in verse 25, you have returned to the shepherds, to the guardian. You have returned or something similar. And that can give us the idea that we were wandering like sheep and then we decided to return. So we did return. And now we say, you have returned. But that's not what's being stated here. This verb that we see, you have returned. The original text is clearly written in a passive voice. In a passive voice. What, what it means is that you have returned. is not the best way of saying this. The King James does a better job. And I think the best job of our English Bibles. In saying you are returned. And in saying you are returned. It takes away the necessity of activity from the sheep. We should understand this passiveness and this returning in this way. You wandered like sheep, but you have been returned. You have been returned. The energy of the returning is not your energy. So where is the energy of returning? Where is the power for a wandering sheep 
who is returned, where does this come from? And we discover it as we consider the fuller text, both in Isaiah and in 1 Peter. Christ, who committed no sin, then Christ bore our sin on Calvary's cross. Isaiah says it this way, the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Peter says he bore, he himself bore our sin. So now we can understand that the power of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, the power of his death returned all his sheep to him. The power of his death returned his sheep to him. The atonement by Jesus Christ did not only say to straying sheep, there's forgiveness and mercy if you can make it back to the shepherd. If you can get here, there's protection and there's nutrition. It doesn't say that. If that were the case, we'd all still be hopeless in our sin because we are lost sheep, wandering sheep, none of us seeking God, each one turning to his own way. And if it were up to us to return to the shepherd, we would be lost. But no, the, the atonement by Jesus Christ had the power to provide forgiveness and mercy, but also the power to go and get every one of his sheep from that lost place where they were and carry them back to the fold, back to the shepherd and guardian of our souls. Our confession summarizes this better than I could. In chapter 10 of our confession, we read these words, those whom God hath predestined unto life he is pleased in his appointed and accepted time effectually to call by his word and spirit out of that state of sin and death in which they are by nature to grace and salvation by Jesus Christ, enlightening their minds spiritually and savingly to understand the things of God taking away their heart of stone and giving unto them a heart of flesh, renewing their wills and by his almighty power, determining them to that which is good and effectually drawing them to Jesus Christ. Yet so as they come most freely being made willing by his grace. What a blessing it is that we have in Jesus that we have in Jesus not only the salvation made possible, made available, but also he purchased with his blood all the means to bring his sheep to saving knowledge and faith. To effectually call us by his word and spirit to him. In our text, Jesus the shepherd is also called the guardian. He is the shepherd and the guardian of our souls. Shepherd, as we pointed out, is a word referring to pastors and feeding of sheep. But as we mentioned that sheep are defenseless, sheep also need a protector. 
So we have this word guardian. And the word here, guardian, it comes from the word episcopos. Episcopus. And some of you are thinking, that sounds like episcopal. That's on purpose. Episcopos. This is an important word in helping us understand the role of an under-shepherd, but it is also even more important as we understand the work of Christ Jesus, the Good Shepherd, and our Episcopos, our guardian. This Episcopos, part of this word sounds like scope, Episcopos. And we understand the word scope. I mean, we understand telescope and periscope and microscope, and we understand other scope words. We know that these things help us to see what may be invisible to the naked eye. Scope gives us the idea of seeing. And this prefix, epi, episcopos, this prefix, epi, adds an intensity to this seeing. So we can understand the term episkopos to mean the super seer. The one who sees all is Jesus Christ. I wrote this and then I read it and um, what I wrote was he watches over his sheep with supervision. I wrote super space vision. But then when I read it, it sounded like supervision. Um, and we need to understand that he does watch over us with supervision and he watches over us with supervision. He watches over us as an episcopos, one who sees all things. And here we have the word guardian, episcopos translated guardian because he is watching with a view to protect and keep his flock. Jesus Christ is our shepherd and our Guardian. Christian, you were straying, going your own way. But the atoning death of Jesus Christ, your sin being placed on him as he paid the ransom price in full, you were brought from your place of lostness to the very place of provision and protection by your good shepherd and the guardian of your soul. And now, Christians, we give all praise and glory and honor to Christ Jesus for accomplishing all that was needed for our salvation. Opening our blind eyes, giving us eyes of faith to see Jesus as Savior. Renewing our foolish and ignorant minds to understand the things of God. Right down to changing your will so that you would come to him by your own choice. He did that work. Sinner, you who are still living in the state of lost sheep, wandering, straying far from God, Perhaps you would admit, as a young man did to me just this past week, I'm really tired of wandering. Perhaps you would say, I'm really tired of wandering. You know that you need something different 
something more in your life than the same pursuits that you have been having, the same way that you've been living. Friend, you need a Savior. You need the forgiveness of sin and the right standing with God that is only found in Jesus Christ. And the Bible has only one instruction for you, only one thing. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Walk away from your sinful, hopeless life and come to Jesus for mercy and forgiveness. Jesus lived and died and rose again to save everyone who would place repentant faith in Him. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm in God, we pray that you would bring new life to sinners today. That you would effectually call them from sin and darkness into marvelous light. Save lost souls, we pray. And help your people to serve and to worship you more purely and more earnestly in light of these truths which we have considered today in light of our Savior in light of the shepherd and guardian of our soul, remind us, remind us now, but, but Lord, remind us often of our good shepherd, of our Episcopus, the guardian of our soul, that we might increase praise and honor and glory and blessing to your name. We offer to you gratitude for the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We pray it in his name. Amen.